Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. What we do here on this podcast is we recap every episode of Westworld. You can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. You can also email us at decodingwestworld.gmail.com. This week we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 9, The Well-Tempered Clavier. Uh, now, as we begin this week's podcast, I can't help thinking of uh, the following quote. When Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. Is that how you feel today, Joanna Robinson? No. <laughs> because <laughs> Joanna Robinson, for, for people who for some reason are just tuning in for the first time, uh, was completely vindicated on last night's episode of Westworld. And what I mean by that is that, you know, uh, we have another podcast called The Cast of Kings where we have a dynamic where Joanna has read all the Game of Thrones books and I am the bumbling uh, newbie who doesn't know anything and Joanna explains things to me. And this is a great dynamic uh, for that podcast because it means anyone uh, can enter that podcast and, and find something to enjoy, whether you're a smug book reader or someone who doesn't know anything like me. Uh, and I was hoping that with this podcast, we would have a different dynamic where we're both kind of fumbling through. But nope, Joanna has recreated it again where she has guessed uh, a lot of what is going to be happening um, on Westworld this season uh, through uh, her articles on Vanity Fair and on this podcast. And I just want to say, you know, right at the top, just get it out of the system, Joanna, uh, is that it's one thing to just regurgitate a bunch of different theories that you've read on Reddit or somewhere else. But I think what I really appreciate about what you've done is you have chosen a few theories, like a few core theories, and you have stuck with them pretty much all season, right? You have not deviated uh, or have very rarely deviated. And that takes guts. And I think, um, you know, it really paid off last night when everyone on my Twitter feed was saying how <laughs> amazing you are at predicting this. I mean, you really called it. So, uh, no, okay. So I do want to take this opportunity. <laughs> I, sound, I sound like I'm like clutching an Oscar or something like that. <laughs> I do want to take this opportunity to, you know, give credit, spread credit around where credit's due. Yes. Um, which is to say, like, um, the 30 year time difference thing, that is something I fully read off Reddit. Or actually, I believe I read Peter Serretta's thing on Slash Home, which I think he got from Reddit. So that is a thing that I would not have gotten quite so early on my own. The Bernard Arnold stuff, I did sort of come to on my own. That's not to say that people of the lovely people of Reddit didn't do it as well concurrently, maybe in front of me, but like that's something that I sort of sussed out on my own. The picture thing, I can actually thank him live right now because he's listening. Uh, Raymond Terry, who who uh, listens to our Game of Thrones podcast, he's like a he's a listener I know really well. He's he originally tweeted me 
the possibility that there was space enough in that photo for a third person. Um, so I can name where I got that idea. <laughs> and I also want to thank, this is the last thing I'm going to say, I want to thank Matt Patches, who uh, is a great writer. He's an editor over at Thrillist. He's a great human being. And he was more steadfast in the very beginning about the 30-year time difference than I was. And we actually had long debates about it uh, where he convinced me, ultimately. So right. uh, I, I just want to spread that around. But I do it I, takes a village to gloat I, about correct muscle no, predictions. But, uh, no, but I, I, I do. I do. Agree, <laughs> I will agree with you. Here's what I will say in my own favor, as disgusting as that sounds. <laughs> having, I think, having gone through so many seasons of Game of Thrones theories being thrown at me, especially these last two seasons, um, I think I've gotten a better sense than if you didn't write do this for a living of what sounds like a bogus theory and what doesn't. And so I think th- that is something that I've worked on because I've been fooled before my bad theories and I you know I and I will again but anyway uh thank you all for being here I dedicate this Oscar to <laughs> to all to all, <laughs> to all of you. and the to people who help. yeah and and uh yeah I I mean uh again I, I think it's it's about like the selectivity of the theories because we get probably a hundred emails a week and I would say half of them have theories in them, right? Is that probably true? Is that, does that yeah. sound right to you? But half of them have theories. And I would say most of them, most of those half, I think, have no chance of actually coming true. Things like, is Ford a host? You know, is Dolores Ford? You know, like all these things like that, they're, that these theories that I just have, have zero confidence in. Um, and so we are inundated with theories all the time. And uh, Jenna Robinson is someone who has sorted through all that stuff for listeners uh, and has advocated like a pretty consistent view of what the show is doing and I think uh, was largely proven correct last night. So uh, congrats. And I think we'll talk later on in this podcast about whether or not that's a good thing, Joanna. Whether, no, it's a, it's a good question. We got a yeah, really it is a good question as to yeah. whether that's actually like a, a valuable thing for, for people to experience before, before right. listening. I certainly have an opinion on it, but, uh, but we'll be discussing that more. But uh, just, get, just wanted to get the congratulations out of the way. We have this catharsis now, and we can move on to a recap of Season 1, Episode 9, The Well-Tempered Clavier, uh, directed by Michelle McLaren. Uh, a name we've seen very often uh, on TV. She's directed episodes of Game of Thrones, Breaking Bad. Incredibly talented woman uh, and certainly did a great job with this episode. This episode begins uh, with Maeve being brought in for a diagnostic checkup after she killed New Clementine uh, with a knife uh, towards the end of last episode. And uh, Maeve has this interaction with Bernard. Bernard goes through the diagnostic thing, but then quickly Maeve takes control of the process. And it is uh, riveting to see because, firstly, we know that Bernard is uh, a host, but in a great bit of dramatic irony, Bernard is not aware. Uh, Maeve also knows. And then so we've seen this diagnostic scene play out dozens of times through the course of the show. And then to see it reversed where the host becomes the host dead or as it were, you know, like the diagnostician becomes the diagnostee, you know, whatever it is, the diagnosed uh, is pretty exhilarating. And I thought uh, was really well done. And of course it it didn't raise the question for me. Uh, Maeve is able to detect that Bernard is a host, right? Because she has rerouted her code so that she can now uh, 
direct host to do what she wants. Um, it did raise the question for me in this lab with all this equipment. Uh, wouldn't they have figured out a way to detect that Bernard was a host at some point previously? But uh, hmm. that's just a, a random question that came to mind. What did you think of this opening scene, Joanna? Yeah, I thought the part where she had him freeze motor function was chilling. Like, even though we saw Bernard behave as a host in a previous episode or two, uh, that whole freeze motor function moment. It feels very that, transgressive, right? That, that yeah. was like another, like, it looks like nothing to me moment or like what door moment for me. I was just like, oh, my God, yeah. Bernard. And, um, you know, to see him going through this again, having just been there. I said this at the end of last week's episode um, to a friend of mine and, and it was only because I had seen the trailer. We don't, oh, this is something I want to say. This is a holdover rule from cast of Kings. We don't talk about the next week on trailer. We get a lot of emails about like, did you guys see that this is coming up next week? But that's just an old rule of ours that we don't talk about it. Cause some people don't watch those and don't want to know. Right. So that's like a weird, that's a weird spoiler speculation battery that we have, but I, I do watch them and I had seen that, you know, Maeve was going to talk to Bernard and I was like, Oh, I cannot wait to have Maeve wake Bernard up. I'm so excited. <laughs> for this. And it was everything I hoped it would be. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, it was a fascinating scene. It's also interesting that we have two uh, black characters, even though they're hosts talking about, overthrowing the pre-existing power structure you know right. and yeah. and westworld is kind of a uh, in some ways a slave allegory where you have all these hosts who are forced to work in these loops and and obey no matter what happens uh and now mave is kind of leading this rebellion uh so there's kind of some interesting racial undertones there uh so uh, why don't we get back to bernard at the towards the end of this because you know bernard is how we end the episode so let's let's dive into him last okay um but I uh, wanted to just acknowledge that scene right up front because it was it's so amazing. I also love this very brief moment when Maeve looks like she's deactivated, but then she glances upward for a split second and then goes back da- down to looking like she's deactivated. Uh, it just was a ver- it's like a very fun little moment uh, of her revealing that she's not really obeying her programming. Uh, really, yeah. Tandy Newton's like robot, but not a robot acting in that in like throughout, I think has been really, really good. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The acting throughout uh, the show has been great. So uh, there is a brief scene in this episode with Stubbs. Uh, Stubbs goes to check out Elsie's signal. Uh, and you know how last week we were talking about how Stubbs might be the person that blows this whole thing wide open. Uh, I take that back, Joanna, because Aww. apparently he is a moron. Uh, no. There's hosts malfunctioning left and right, disobeying programming, and he goes out there by himself, barely armed with one weapon, uh, into the middle of nowhere, and you know pays a tragic price for it. I mean, he gets attacked uh, in a uh, you write here in the show notes a Jurassic Park homage, which I agree it's very uh, Robert Muldoon, clever girl. Uh, very Clever girl, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, no, it was, and that's just a like freaking classic movie scene. If you watch that scene again, he he's distracted by the p- pack in front of him and gets like jumped from the side. Uh, yeah, we, you know he's we don't know that he's dead, obviously, because yeah. uh, we haven't seen him die. So he could just be stuffed in a broom closet with Elsie, as far as we know. And you still you still think Elsie might be alive? I don't know, man. I'm holding hope. I'm holding out hope. I'm, I don't know what to tell you. I'm ninety five percent sure she's dead, but. Joanna, you've made me so afraid to doubt anything you say anymore, so I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Stubbs, he gets incapacitated and I taken mean, in by... Yeah. 
the thing we know about Stubbs is he t- he made a point to tell Elsie earlier in the season that like I think he's one of the only people who like goes out armed and she's like why don't you need- why do you need that we've got these handy iPads and he's like yeah I'm gonna take my gun um and so like I agree with you that he should have used the buddy system um but you know he 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 thought he was covered because he had this gun. Uh, which is more than most people have. So yeah, yeah. And I th- so I, I think Elsie's dead. I think Stubbs is still alive, uh, and it, it seems like he's overtaken by these people from Ford's new narrative, right? Uh, yeah, could be. That is, yeah, that's my interpretation. People f- from Ford's new narrative who basically have the ability to disregard conventional programs. Oh yes, norms, yes, right? you're right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So there's a scene with Maeve where she recruits Hector to her cause. Uh, she goes to visit Hector in the middle of the woods and she tells Hector what his past is, what his future is, and seduces him into joining her. Uh, she uses language about hell and devils and then lights the tent on fire while uh, having sex with him uh, in a scene that I thought was a little bit over the top and probably a fairly risky way of... I mean, deeply impractical. <laughs> uh, they, <laughs> they, had, they had a shotgun right there. They could have just taken themselves out and then... Would they, would they not have... Sh- like, aren't they going to be charred and melty? Maybe not melty since they're all organic. But yeah, like, like what, what about all the, cir- the circuitry? The circuitry inside? Like, isn't that going to affect the circuitry, you know? Maybe she's <laughs> not going to be able to have self-awareness anymore. Who knows? I mean, I don't think this will be the case, but I actually would really enjoy if next week, like, um, Rodrigo Santoro, who plays Hector, and Tandy <laughs> Noon, who plays Maeve, were just, like, in black, crusted, like, makeup. They were just, like, charred and walking around next next week. Yeah, um, yeah the... It is over the top and it is very dramatic, but all her talk of hell and devils like gets gets sort of reflected back later in the episode. And I think if it hadn't been quite so over the top, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have occurred to me as a parallel. Um, so when we get there, we can talk more about that. But I, it might be intentional. But I agree with you. I mean, it was very it was like si- Lee Sizemore wrote that scene. For sure, and then they had sex as the tent burned. It was great, yeah. So yeah, a couple couple interesting things to point out about this. Firstly, uh, we find out that nothing is in the safe, right? Which is something that the Man in Black predicted. Right. Um, but theoretically, they were supposed to, they were fated to die before the safe was even open, so they were never going to find out what was in it anyway. Uh, but it just struck me as like rather interesting that this whole section of the plot of the Westworld, the park, plays out. Potentially in the absence of any human people. You know what I mean? Um, in a video game, video game makers typically don't make things that uh, there's a high likelihood that people won't play. But I guess theoretically uh, humans or newcomers or guests could get tangled up in Hector's gang and maybe they would be around to witness this ending. Right? Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but uh, I just thought it was interesting that, oh, like – they need all these hosts need to have their own endings, even in the absence of humans. Um, yeah, that is interesting. I don't know how practical that is. In fact, it strikes me as deeply, deeply impractical because you know it'd be easier to just have them like shut off, you know, and rather than filling each other with bullets, you know. What I'm yeah, saying? but but I, but I think if you think about what Charlotte says in this episode about. You know, she's like, yeah, Ford's narratives are seductive, but most people come here because they just want to like bone a robot or or shoot a robot, right? And but that's the thing is like Ford does create these like elegant thematic 
sort of stories. And so he wouldn't just like shut the bots down at the end of the story. He would right. want them to complete their loop. So that makes sense to me from Ford's yeah, perspective. Yeah, it, it, it's all internally consistent. I'm just saying, you know, as with many things, there seem to be elements of the park that are impractical. Um, yes, but but yeah. agreed, maybe maybe a human gang member could get involved with Hector Eskaton's gang. And then, right. But then what, then what happens? Like... Then they all kill each other, and that's the end. You know, and the person's the, like, uh, "I guess I walk back to Sweetwater." Now. Yeah, exactly. It just feels like, it, or maybe it just, Lawrence comes riding by. He's like, "Hey." It, it just seemed weird that there would be this thing that, like, theoretically, no one would see. But you know, like you said, narrative consistency. So, uh, all right, what other plot lines happen in this episode? Uh, the Man in Black. So. Uh, Last episode, uh, Angela stabbed Teddy in the chest, and then this episode, Teddy wakes up, and Angela has this conversation with him. Uh, Teddy has a flashback to the Wyatt times, and and then that's when he finally starts to realize, hey, actually, uh, he might have been involved with all the killing of these people, and Angela seems to be aware that they're all hosts and that they are they're, they're like previously on loops, and that's why she says like, "Hey, uh, you're not ready yet to come back to Wyatt's crew and take your seat next to him, but maybe in a different life, like maybe in a future loop, you'll be able yeah. to." Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it's very mind bending this conversation, and then she kills Teddy again, um, and then uh, uh, then she knocks out the man in black and ties him to this tree. Now, before we get into that scene, you know, did you have any thoughts on the Angela Teddy interaction? Yeah, to me, I think it conf- to me at least it confirmed what we talked about last week, which is that the flashbacks that Dolores has in the church in the town of the White Church um, is the same as the flashbacks Teddy's having in uniform, and so we see Teddy himself realize that, and the narrative sheen that Ford put over it of this war story falls away, and you see Teddy as a sheriff in the yeah. town, and he's not shooting soldiers, he's shooting townspeople. We've already seen Dolores involved in that scene. We don't see her in this week's episode, but we've already seen her there. Um, you know, Teddy says, and then Wyatt killed the general, we find out at the end of the episode that Dolores killed Arnold. So I really, I really do feel like this shores up the whole like Dolores is the Wyatt figure in this yeah, story. Re- remember how last episode of the podcast you said, "I know you don't want me to give you my Dolores equals Wyatt theory." <laughs> well, Joanna, I think we're going to want you to give it to us. This episode. <laughs> so, I think we're going to need that theory this episode. Um, yeah, I, I, I think she is, and um, I think that what was I going to say? about all that that like ford is sort of orchestrating for this to all happen again um and you know he he teddy at that time talked i think it was earlier in the season he talked about how or he repeated it this week how uh wyatt was out on maneuvers had some weird ideas came back with them and was acting all weird. And so this this sort of is consistent with the idea of Dolores either going out to talking to Arnold and coming back with crazy ideas or going out in search of the maze and coming back with crazy ideas. Um, but it, it really does like sort of fit with her theme. And then when he talks about how Wyatt 
recruited him. He says, uh, he told me he needed me. I couldn't resist. It was like the devil himself had taken control of me. So basically, like, if we believe that Dolores is why Dolores seduced Teddy into not just like physically, like intellectually seduced him into being her right hand man and taking out um, the town, basically. And that reminds me of what Maeve is doing currently, right? She needs a right hand man. So she has gone for Hector. Um, and this talk of like devils and seduction and all that sort of thing um, just makes me feel like Maeve is sort of looping this thing that Dolores has already done. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are my thoughts on Dolores and Wyatt and all that jazz. So I, I think you and I are in heated agreement, as my old law professor <laughs> used to say, that Wyatt is Dolores, right? right? That these events happen and that Ford reprogrammed this story to make it seem like it was this other guy, Wyatt, but in fact it was actually Dolores. It was based on a true story because all great art is based in truth, right? Right, yeah. right. So I would expect the Dolores-Wyatt reveal to happen next week. And I, I want to talk with you about the pace of these reveals, Joanna, because it is happening fast and furious now. Uh, so we are, we are really in the thick of it. Would you anyway, call it too fast, too furious? I, I would. I would actually call it Fast Five. No, I'm just joking. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's happening pretty quickly. And oh. uh, like many, many twists are, ha- are being revealed each week. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, uh, the man in black gets knocked out. Apparently, he has the pain... Uh, tolerance set very high um, in his thing, in his uh, his preferences, uh, which was something we could have guessed. And then uh, he is tied; his neck is tied to a tree, and this horse is about to string him up. And I tweeted this at you today: like, forget about uh, yeah. knives and arrows. How do ropes work in Westworld? And a lot of people tweeted back: well, theoretically, the the horse is a host. And would therefore discontinue its trajectory if the man in black was actually in danger. But we see the horse pull him up to the point where he's actually dangling by his neck. Anyway, uh, I was just curious what would have happened if he didn't get. I his think hands some. I think someone also suggested that like the tree was. Yeah, the tree a is a host. <laughs> <laughs> the tree has a good Samaritan reflex and would have like the limb would have snapped or something. Do you have who, an opi- Do you have an opinion on this? I say, who knows? I say, I think they fudged this one. Yeah, I still. I also still think they fudged the arrows, uh, but you know, there are probably bigger fish to fry at this point. Charlotte Hale appears, which I think I want to say uh, – I guess she's a second character other than Ford to appear alongside the man in black. Like basically someone from the modern timeline, right? Right. Uh, and tells him about Teresa and then uh, asks him we, – we find out that the man in black is on the board, right? That right. he has a board vote. She asks him for permission to get rid of Ford um, and reminds the man in black that he financially bailed out the park all those years ago. Uh, and the man in black says, hey, I don't give a crap. I have bigger fish to fry. I'm going to find the maze. Um, so here you, you say this answers the man in black maze question. What are you referring to there, Joanna, in the show notes here? Oh, um, a bunch of people are asking if William is the man in black 30 years in the past, how does the man in black have no idea like where the maze – like if if we assume the town with the white church is somehow – is the maze is the gate to the maze or something like that like since william has been there how is it the man in black is having such a hard time finding it and so i think like we got the answer to this episode where it's like he had no idea that that's what he was looking for but as soon as she said the city swallowed by sand he's like oh i've been there 
uh, on it. I know exactly where I'm going now. Thank you. Um, as soon as Angela said City Swallow. Yeah, 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 yeah. As soon as Angela said that, he was like, oh, you mean that, that creepy place where my robot girlfriend freaked out and there was a burnt out steeple sticking out of the ground? Yep. <laughs> on my way. Um, and the other thing we should say about that city is that um, it's confusing <laughs> – uh, as are many things in this show, but like basically that that town existed, you know, pre park, uh, and then in the William timeline, which we think was like approximately thirty years ago, it was already buried. It, it was buried, yeah. and I think that's because like a terrible thing happened there, so it just like they basically like salted the earth, they burnt it, <laughs> and they buried it, and then I I believe that that's what Ford has been rebuilding. Like we see the model of it in his office. I think that's what his Earth movers are working on is, and and have already completed reconstructing that particular. Town. I see. So that's how when the man in black appears at the end uh, of the episode with Dolores, Dolores looks towards the door and she says William, and then right. the man in black appears, and then she says. Oh my gosh, it's you! Uh, no, she doesn't say that. That would just no. remove all doubt. But, <laughs> but uh, she does, you know, recognize the man in black from earlier, and uh, and so that's how he appears. That's how he appears in the church because the other, the original church has already been buried, but the church has been recreated uh, under Ford's new storyline, right? Right. So that's how he appears. All right. That's all the stuff that goes on with William and Logan. Um, Logan uh, and the Confederados uh, have William and, and Dolores captive, uh, and Logan basically is tormenting Dolores and William, uh, cuts open Dolores's belly, and you see that she has the million moving parts inside, right? She's not made up of the flesh and bone, right? Right, right. So when the Man in Black in an earlier episode said, hey, decades ago, I, I you know, I took one of you apart, you were like, there's a million parts. And he, she, her internals kind of somewhat match young Ford, right? So this feels like really uh, strong evidence that the two timeline theory is correct. Would you agree? I do, yeah. I say between that and the photo, which we're about to talk about, I right. think those were the two biggest clues in this episode about that. Yeah, Logan is really offended that uh, William seems to have forgotten all about Logan's sister and takes a photo of uh, of uh, Logan's sister and shoves it into William's shirt. And we see enough of the photo to recognize that it is the same photo that caused Abernathy to malfunction in episode one. Right. right. Uh, so. Yeah, what what do you make of that, Joanna? Well, two things. Number one, uh, Raymond Terry in our chat room just brought up the the pin that Logan's wearing that that like a bunch of people noticed in last right. week's episode as well. That looks a lot like a Hand of the King pin from Game of Thrones. I was googling around today. There is no like Civil War pin that looks like that, as far as I could tell from some light googling. So this appears to be a Game of Thrones sort of inside joke. And then also in the chat room, Fun Cooker One says, "Very Targaryen of Logan to carry around a picture of his sister. Not weird at all." Uh, and I agree. <laughs> Logan reaches into his jacket. He pulls out actually like a couple photos. He has like three. He's like, "Let me find the one of Juliet. Here we go." This is what I need to shove in your face. And like it, it I I know we're supposed to know that uh, Westworld takes place in the future, like uh, that it starts uh, – I think it like starts in 2013 or something similar to that um, and then 30 years down the line and we're like 2045. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, I was like who nowadays even now carries – I mean, I guess if you're going to go to the park and you can't have your cell phone with you, but like, do you need to gaze at your sister that much that you need to like tuck the photo <laughs> you in your jacket? Photo. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's all a little weird. I mean, it's it's a great that it's the same photo. Reddit called that a long time ago and I like poo-pooed it. I was like, no, that's just a random photo. What are you even talking about? Mm. Um, I So, you know, I just like to remind you guys that I'm not right all the time. Um, but yeah, there it was. Juliet, the lovely Juliet. So uh, here's my question. The photo definitively proves that what we're seeing with Logan and William, or it, it doesn't definitively prove, but it very strongly suggests that what we're seeing with William and Logan happened before the events of modern-day stuff in episode one of the series, right? right. Uh, is it possible that that fact that I just said is true, but that William is not the man in black? Like, cause, it's still possible, but like just so improbable to me. <laughs> well, but, but it's also like – because it's also like that that photo uh, would have to be basically 30 years old, Right. Yeah, and I, I hear – well, here's another possibility. So either it's been in the park for 30 years or I rewatched the episode, uh, episode one today, and the way the timeline goes is that the man in black goes to the Abernathy Ranch before Abernathy finds the photo. Uh, so what What if he had, it, had that old photo with mm, him and dropped it that night? Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. So then it, then it wouldn't look like so – you know, like it should be dust if it's sitting out in <laughs> yeah, the park exactly, for 30 exactly, years. Yeah. But if it's been in his jacket for 30 years and if he's feeling like extra, extra guilty because his wife, Juliet, just committed suicide a year ago and is carrying around that photo of her, then um, maybe that, that's how it got there. Yeah. So then uh, William somehow manages to talk Logan into believing that William has come to his senses. Uh, Logan cuts him loose. They all go to sleep. Uh, when Logan wakes up in the morning is a very awesome shot. It starts like with a, almost like a close up on Logan's face yeah. and then, uh, it, it pulls backwards and then it, you, it reveals all the Confederados have been, um, like dismembered, dismembered. Right? Yeah. Uh, so apparently Logan had some pretty strong whiskey to sleep through the dismembering of 50 guys. Uh, and it, it actually reminded me of uh, one of the opening shots of Game of Thrones, like season one, episode one, uh, when you see the overhead shot of all the bodies. You know what I'm talking about? Um, that shot with all the bodies like laying around. Oh, oh yeah, uh, yes, yeah, yes. It felt very similar to that. Um, but anyway, uh, William has gone completely insane and has said to Logan, <laughs> hey, uh, you're going to help me find Dolores. And... That's that. Now, I want to read this posting on the Westworld subreddit. Uh, This was written by MozgGnet. The title of this post at the Westworld subreddit, which is at reddit.com slash r slash Westworld, is William is a massive piece of shit. Uh, I'm going to quote this post. Everything William has done so far is enraging. His girlfriend's brother takes him on this awesome 40K per day trip so he could bond more before William marries Logan's sister. They go drinking, partying, and fucking, but William refuses to participate. Then William decided to go on a shitty bounty side quest and guilts Logan into going with him, saying, I can go alone. You don't have to come. Logan goes with him anyways because he's a nice guy and wants to be friendly to William. William starts falling for a fucking robot lady, even though his fiance's brother's right there. Logan gets captured and is later tortured and actually getting physically hurt. William refuses to rescue him, instead runs away with the robot lady, making out with her, all while his human fiancé's brother is getting tortured. Logan rescues himself, finds William, 
tries to show him that this place is getting to his head, shows that William is in love with a fucking machine. Instead of being angry, he forgives him, unties him, offers a drink and says, it's fine, this place can take over your head, and promises not to talk about what happened in this park so he wouldn't ruin the relationship William has with his sister. Instead of William being like, shit, man, you're right, thanks for being forgiving and not telling anyone this, he kills all of Logan's men and puts a fucking knife to his throat. Seriously, fuck William. End quote. So, what do you think of that assessment, Joanna? Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> Here, here's what I will say. I think Logan is right in like almost – I mean I think you can be right and a piece of shit, you know? So I think Logan's a bad dude but like he's been right from the start yeah. about what the park would do to William. He might have underestimated like how much the park would do a number on William but he was right. And I think there was this nastiness inside William which is like this is a theme that – uh, Westworld keeps revisiting, which is, you know, the park reveals your true self, right? Um, so I think there was this deeper nastiness and frustration, like frustrated masculinity and all this stuff inside William that has been unlocked by the park. Um, people in the, in the live chat room are asking if we think this massacre is believable or get an organic turn for William. And I would say, like, I feel like, we've been seeing this creep in if the show had like five more episodes of the season, like they would have had the luxury to do a slower creep. But I think we've seen like when William like shoots the Confederados when they're doing that, like hold up. I think we saw it start. Um, We definitely saw it when like last week he was like, can we just leave this Confederado for dead? Like, why are we helping him? And Dolores is like, Oh, are you a white hat or what? I don't know. Um, so I think we've been seeing it creep up. The trauma of watching this woman that he fell in love with get cut open and like confront having to confront the reality that she is made of like pistons and gears. Uh, I, I, I understand why that did a crazy number on him. I'm not saying that's what, what, how I would react. But. <laughs> Joanna would have reacted much more violently than William. <laughs> Yeah, it would have uh, just been like dismembering. It would have been like just – it was. It would be like robot paste. Yeah, it would be dis- disemboweling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and what's also interesting is this behavior is very consistent with uh, man in black behavior, right? Uh, complete disregard for host life, any storylines, just wanting to get to what he wants to get to. And, and, and so, you know, is the rationale that he uh, – killed all these confederados because they stand in his way of getting back to Dolores or as revenge for what they did to Dolores? Like, what is your take on that? Uh, I think revenge or just like, just working out his issues. Um, or, or maybe it's him exploring this, like needing to remind himself that they are all robots, you know, like seeing the inside of Dolores, like he dismembered these, you know, the man in black talks about cutting, cutting a host open and looking at the million pieces of machinery inside of them when he first came to the park 30 years ago. Um, And so I think, you know, the fact that he didn't just slit their throats, that he actually like cut off pieces of them to better see their machinery. Cause you see their little machiny bits, like still kind of going in the dust. Um, I think that really speaks to sort of the kind of trauma he was trying to work through there. Yeah. Uh, pretty upsetting, uh, but very well done scene and uh, very chilling scene. So then we have a s- sequence with Dolores. And again, uh, we are seeing Dolores in at least two, 
possibly three or four different time periods through this episode. That is our understanding, right? Three in this episode. Right. So there is Dolores that's with William and Logan. Yeah. There is modern day Dolores. And then there is Dolores flashing back to a time before the park even opened uh, when she was hanging out with Arnold slash Bernard. Yeah, and the way you can, and I feel like they've done clear markers now for us. So instead of intentionally trying to confuse us in the finale, they're going to try to make it clear for us in the finale. So you can mark 35 year old Dolores by the fact that she's wearing the blue dress. 30 year, 30 year old Dolores has a slash in her belly and blood stain on her shirt. Yep. And then present day Dolores is the same outfit, but no blood stain and no cut. Yeah, so, so those are like the three visual markers you can have to track her if she glitches in and out of time uh, in the finale, I think. Yeah. I think that's that sounds about right. Uh, and so anyway, in, in this episode, uh, after she gets stabbed, she runs away from Logan's camp. Well, sorry, sorry before- go ahead. Yeah, before the stab part, I, I wanted to mention this great line she has about, you know, William's talking about how he wants Logan to talk to his buddies at the company. Yeah, we so got to get her can, out of here. Yeah, right? we got to jailbreak Dolores. And she's like, why do you assume I want out? Like, what are you even talking about? If out's so good, why is everyone trying to get back in here? And Ford said something similar. And, it, you know, I think it, it forces all of us to think about what season two is going to look like um, if Maeve is trying to, to you know, pull off this jailbreak. Let's say she succeeds. She may not. But if she does, like, what does that outside world look like? Is it Mars? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> the <laughs> big question on everyone's mind, is it Mars? Is it Mars? But, like, is it, um, Good one, you know, are, are, are we going to see, uh, like, a, a, something worth escaping to? Or will season two still take place in the park? Because why would we ever want to leave? I'm very curious right. about what they're going to do for season two. So yeah. Uh, so then, uh, after she gets stabbed uh, in, in a, like a very troubling scene, you know, with, when she gets opened up, and I, I guess theoretically, if a host gets opened up, they're probably supposed to die at that point, right? But since she's off her loop, she continues living, right? That was my interpretation. Um, and then she runs away. I don't away. know if it's just like off her loop. It's I guess it's maybe sort of like what happened with Maeve. Like Maeve got a cut to the belly and then – but she was so traumatized that she stayed alive and carried her daughter out. You know, that's what like the man in black witnessed. Um, yeah. I mean Dolores should be down. I don't know why she's still running but uh, yeah, there we go. So then she goes to this church and she flashes back to the old version of the church. So there is a new church. Where she runs into the man in black, like a new physical church in the modern storyline, but she's flashing back to old church where the horrible thing with White happened, right? Right. And she enters the church, and there is a bunch of hosts that appear to be glitching out. Yeah. Um, and I guess my take on this scene was and, – and as this is happening, you hear a Ford voiceover uh, flashing back – to episode three or four where he's basically talking about uh, the bicameral mind and about consciousness. And and the way we bootstrapped consciousness was we made it seem like our commands were coming at the host in their own voice, right? And that's the voiceover you're hearing as she walks into the church and sees all these hosts glitching out. And uh, like what was your interpretation of what the show is trying to say about religion? You know, did did you you take away um – because it, it almost felt to me like the show is saying, hey, these hosts who 
um, listen to these like it, like it seemed like all of the hosts there were malfunctioning in some yeah. way, right? That they were they were in a, this holding area waiting to be taken down for diagnostics and potential um, retirement or fixing, right? And so it, I, it it almost felt to me like it was saying the show was trying to say like hearing voices in your head or uh, is like the the actual human equivalent of religion in some way, um, and that there is some kind of deficiency there. Like if you do, oh, feel um, it. I don't want to. I don't think it's going that hard on it, but I think, um, and and you know, when we talk about matters of religion, you're always more educated than I am on the subject. But like, there is history of of like prophets going insane, right? Like if you hear the voice of God, it's not just like you're spiritual, but if you hear the actual voice of God, yeah, it's hard to hold on to your sanity. Right. And so I think it's more something like that. But I but I do like how much um, you know, like Dolores goes down like via a confessional. Like I do like how much religion is coming into this. And when you have these warring God figures, when you have Arnold and Ford and there are different ideas of how men should be um, or their creation should be. It feels like, you know, God and Lucifer uh, or, you know, the story of Job when the God and the devil make a bet about mankind. You know, like it, it does feel like these godlike figures grappling and, and watching the quote unquote human who are the hosts um, uh, get sort of caught in the crossfire of these uh, larger – these deities. I don't know. That That's sort of my take on it. Gotcha. What do you think? Yeah. I, I mean I think that's a, a totally valid interpretation. But it felt to me as though – again, not in a strong way because it's basically, OK, you could easily interpret it as, oh, we need a place to put all these malfunctioning hosts. Why not the church, right? But it seems to me that the show is in, in some way also implying that people who do hear the voice of God, like there's very little to distinguish uh, – them from like a malfunctioning host or b if you're human someone who's insane or br- fundamentally broken in some way uh which i just thought was pretty interesting and kind of a strong statement to make and i i don't know that i'm uh, the, the show gives us enough for me to really uh, make a strong interpretation of it at this point maybe it'll follow it up next week because I don't know that we know the true nature of Ford's narrative quite yet, and maybe we'll find out next week. You know what I mean? Right, um, but uh, but I think you are absolutely correct. That it's not a coincidence that this is all taking place in a church. Yeah, yeah, um, completely. Um, but I, I don't think they're making like a blanket condemnation of religion or religious belief, like that. To believe in God is to be crazy. I don't think that's what they're saying. But I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's like acting on it or letting it manifest in the ways that the host let it manifest in this episode. You know, maybe that's what they're condemning. Um, But anyway, she goes downstairs uh, and then you see a scene. So one – another visual marker – you're talking about visual markers earlier. Another visual marker is the uh, Delos offices look a lot different modern day than 30 years ago, right? Oh, yeah. Like the bodies are just like piled up in the hallway. Uh well okay hold on uh, what oh, I, what sorry. I was referring to no 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 what I was referring to is like it's all glass oh, versus sure. uh, concrete you know yeah. like regular conventional rooms whereas modern day is all glass but the bodies piled up, piled up in the hallway my interpretation of that is that Dolores freaked out uh, and killed a ton of Delos employees and those were Delos employees we saw in the hallway oh. so that was my that was what I saw 
I thought was, they just like didn't have a like a clean room to hose people hose 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 down in. That was my original so thought, just, but then you look at them and they look as though they are actual Delos employees and not oh, people. From interesting. The yeah. Okay. I I took a pretty close look at those dead bodies. I I, I I'm not fighting <laughs> you on this. Um, I I did not, so I will go relook. Um. Yeah, yeah. So 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 my interpretation is we find out soon after that she killed Arnold. Uh, and in a very freaky twist that, you know, we're going to talk about Bernard later, but Bernard is Arnold, and all the scenes we've seen of Bernard interacting with Dolores, it's actually been Arnold interacting with Dolores, uh, as you predicted, Joanna. And uh, and then in a another twist, we find out that not only is Arnold dead, but that Dolores killed him, right? Okay. So, and that all this, that many of these memories with Dolores and Arnold may in fact actually be memories and not flashbacks, uh, and when he says to her, the reason I can't help you is because I'm dead because you killed me. I'm just a memory. I can give you no new information. Uh, and <laughs> so it is a very powerful scene. And then when you, she cuts to modern day, when the room that she's in is slightly more run down, um, it's a horrifying moment when she realizes what she's done. And so that, that's like modern day Dolores. Right? Yeah. Um, but my, so, so that's why my, I interpreted it as uh, Dolores went haywire and killed a ton of people, including Arnold and a bunch of people from Delos. And that, those are the dead bodies you see both in the town and also in the underground elevator. Um, and also just, Dolores is Wyatt. Go ahead. I, <laughs> I guess I'm just unclear um, what Dolores's mission is. Like what does Arnold want to do? Okay. So let me let me break it down for you. Yeah, break it down. At some point in the, in the past, let's say 35 years ago, Dolores – gets a message from Arnold that like Westworld needs to be cleansed. This is something that like the young version of Ford was talking about after he killed the dog, that the voice of Arnold was like, um, the dog could harm things. So the dog need to be killed so that it would stop harming things. So my question is like, did Arnold want Dolores to kill all the hosts so that they would stop harming other things? Or did he, did he view humanity as a scourge and like encourage her to wipe out humans? Is it some combination of the two? Um, If you're correct and she killed both hosts and humans 35 years ago, like I can't imagine, like, I can make some excuses for why Dolores is still in the park if she only killed hosts. But if she killed a bunch of humans, I don't understand why she was not put in the incinerator. Um, And then, you know, when she's talking to Logan 30 years ago, she says there is good in this world that Arnold built. But you people have spread across it like a stain and there should be a cleansing. So there it seems like she's talking about humans. Humans need to be wiped out. They're the problem. Um, in Westworld. Uh, and then the question is if there's another reckoning coming, whether it's led by Maeve or by Dolores again, who's the target? For Maeve, it seems like it would be the humans. The humans are the awful overlords. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I just don't feel like it's clean in terms of who the problem is according to Arnold's velocity and according to like Dolores's learned programming Um, for her to have killed Arnold feels to me like Arnold set that up. And this is something that Ford implied in episode three or whatever as like suicide by proxy, right? Like he encouraged her to kill him because he didn't want to live anymore. Um, Mm. I don't. I don't believe that. I, I, I think. 
for clues to this, I look towards the earlier scenes of Arnold and Dolores interacting. Yeah. He's encouraging her to gain sentience. You yes. Know, and, or, or to become self-aware and to become conscious. And, and I think that's what leads to his undoing is basically uh, not having respect for the danger that he's building. You know, is that, is that Dolores becomes angry at her situation somehow. Um, is my my guess, you know, like like Maeve set, sets it up real well. Like we are that they're basically slaves. They're they're dying and suffering and enduring all this pain and sexual violence um, for the whims of people who they don't even know or understand. And uh, imagine if you realize that, how angry would you be? You know, how violent would you get? How much would you want to hurt those people? Uh, that's what I think is the cause of Dolores's freak out. Um, well, I, I just I still think like she has talked multiple times in the series about how Arnold wanted her to end it all to destroy Westworld. So like I don't feel like it's coming from her. It's his, it's still his influence. It looks like a robot rebellion. Um, and that's the same thing with Maeve. Like, I really do believe that Ford is pulling her strings. Like, it looks like it's coming from the robot as a rebellion. Mm. But what it really is, is what the overlord wants. Ford, for whatever reason, like, whether it's to strike a final death blow to Delos or whatever through the Maeve thing. Like, I really don't believe that Maeve could be pulling all this shit without Ford noticing. Ford, who is 10 steps ahead of almost everyone all the time. Um, you know, like in the, in the Bernard scene, we see him all throughout this episode. I know we're going to get to Bernard, but like, you know, he's has the upper hand the entire episode. He has had the upper hand with Teresa in every interaction with Charlotte in every interaction. And like, so for him to just let this Maeve thing happen without any sense of it, I don't believe that. I believe she's part of his narrative and like part of his master plan to get all the money people out of his park that is his like, you know, little kingdom. Um, But in terms of Arnold, like Arnold may be guilty over waking these robots up and driving them crazy and so asking Dolores to kill all the robots who have gained sentience because it's it's a mercy um and then kill him too because he feels guilt over what he's done um but i don't know how the how the human victims would fit into that yeah so i know? think i think the difference in our interpretation or prediction just comes down to like <laughs> how much agency we feel arnold or bernard or or ford are exerting over the situation right like if they are if they are really pulling the strings, then it's a really different interpretation of what Dolores is doing, versus if Dolores is just on her own going rogue, right? Right. Yeah. So I don't know that we'll know what the answer is until next week, but I think um, people listening hopefully have an understanding of what our interpretation is, uh, or our different interpretations are. So there's a few things we should point out about this Dolores going downstairs <laughs> scene. Sure. Okay. Are you are you bracing yourself for it? I mean, Joanna, like, uh, not since election night <laughs> oh. have, I th- have I seen something on television that gut punched me as badly. Oh no! <laughs> Which was she, for the longest time, people have been saying Bernard and Arnold are the same person. They've there's actually a name for this theory, the Bernard theory, right? Right. Uh, and one ev- piece of evidence is, hey, Bernard Lowe is an anagram of Arnold Weber. Forget the fact that. You don't even know if the last name is Weber at all. Um, but if the guy's last name is Weber, then it's anagrams. 
Now, the reason I hate anagrams is because it feels to <laughs> me like the most crackpot-like of, of theories. Like, oh, hey, if you rearrange the letters, it spells blah. In fact, we had an awesome listener who was going around finding anagrams in terms in the show. Do you remember this, right, on Twitter? Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and so it, it feels to me like the most crackpot-like, you know, way far-fetched reaching, seeing things where there isn't anything kind of theory. And, and I don't like seeing people who believe in those kinds of theories enabled in a major way <laughs> as they were in this episode. And you find uh-huh. out through a name placard on Arnold's door that Arnold's last name is Weber and Bernard Lowe is an anagram for Arnold Weber. Um, so- Which makes no sense. And here's why. When Ford first builds Bernard, he's like, who am I? He's like, oh, yes, what should I call you? Shouldn't be the same name. Let me see. Uh, Bernard. Was he doing an anagram in his head? Like, he, he just seemed like anagram he plucked- on the fly. Right? <laughs> he seemed like he just plucked Bernard out of the thin air. Um, I do want to give credit. This is my favorite anagram, though, that someone sent us. It's um, at jgenflow on Twitter. Dolores Abernathy equals obey Arnold's heart. Yeah. That's a really good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and he just pulls Bernard out of thin air with no explanation, right? Uh, Here's my my own crackpot theory, Joanna. Uh, The creators of the show, and we've seen... Uh, Jonathan Nolan engaging with uh, Reddit fans on the internet. The creators of the show saw this anagram theory and put it in there as a CG name placard. As I had the the same thought. I really did. Yeah. I had that thought. I was like, (laughs) was this digitally put in? Um, I like, maybe that's crazy. But then again, like when, when we interviewed Charles Yu last week, he said that, you know, in his opinion, the Nolans knew exactly how people would be watching this show, and which means they knew Reddit was going to go crazy for this shit. And uh, anagrams, you know, <laughs> Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad have have taught us anything. It's the number one takeaway from those two shows are anagrams are the shit. Yes, brick fangs, never forget. Brick fangs. Um, still so, hard. <laughs> still hard. Never forget. Uh, all right. So what else? <laughs> also, we see young Anthony Hopkins uh, yeah. downstairs, which to me did not look anything like Anthony Hopkins. Oh, I thought it did. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know how small Anthony Hopkins was. Like, like he's he's like a shorter man. But yeah. I'm gonna like need to rewatch Line of Winter or something like that because like you know with his like very fitted vest and he was just like striding his little angry body through the hallway. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a good effect. I don't know. Uh, Michael Baker in the chat room is pointing out that they did something similar with the logo backdrop in episode two. We already talked about this, right? Right, yeah. With the thumbnail of episode two, it has the new logo, but in the actual episode itself, it has the old logo. Yeah. Um, so they've already done, like... You know what? Consider me converted. Arnold Weber placard was digitally enhanced just <laughs> to make Dave Chen crazy. Yeah, no, they, they, they had me in mind <laughs> as the target, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure they gave a huge crap about what I thought about it. Um, so... <laughs> So the the only other thing I wanted to mention is it feels to me like this is the maze uh, that when robots malfunction, they go to the church. It's a holding area for when they're hearing voices that they think are God uh, and they hear it as themselves and they go into the maze, which is downstairs into this confession booth to some diagnostic area to get reprogrammed or what have you. And that's why 
the maze is not for you. It's not for the man in black. It's not for humans. It's for hosts uh, to get reprogrammed. And when she finds her way to the maze, she finds her way to this room where uh, they undergo whatever procedure or get re-diagnosed or, you know, blah, blah, blah. What do you think of that? What's um, your reaction I, to that? The only, the only reason that I'm having a problem with that is that at one point, like, it seems like Dolores left the town to go on her maze journey um, because she, when she comes back to town, Lawrence's daughter says, did you find what you were looking for, Dolores? Like, as she walks into town. Um, that actress is not very good, by the way. She's small. It's fine. Um, but like, <laughs> Child actor slam. <laughs> but, but um, like, I don't. I don't know the answer to you. I, I had initially thought that the maze was some sort of like the inside of Westworld Core slash Delos because it wasn't Delos then, right? Um, it could be, but uh, I, I don't know the answer. Uh, Ellen in the chat room is also pointing out that the Man in Black is going to be very disappointed if that's a maze. But I think people have been trying to tell him he's going to be disappointed. They've been saying <laughs> the maze is not for you. Also, by the way, uh, the maze as currently construed, if I'm right, it's actually kind of an homage to the original Westworld movie, uh, which ends with the Man in Black wandering around the halls of uh, the Delos Corporation in a structure that looks very similar to what we see underground under that church. Um the other the other thing we heard in this episode was um it, you know Arnold says you came back it's very good to see you Dolores and then she says I've been looking for you you told me to follow the maze that it would bring me joy but all I found was pain and terror it really does feel like it was away from that diagnostics lab is whatever the maze is hmm. I don't presume to know what it is though um and just to just to uh, recall episode the episode entitled the adversary where Teddy describes the maze, he says, The maze itself is the sum of a man's life, choices he makes, dreams he hangs on to, and there at the center, a legendary man who's been killed over and over again countless times but always clawed his way back to life. He returned for the last time and vanquished all his oppressors in a tireless fury. He built a house. Around that house, he built a maze so complicated only he could navigate through it. I reckon he'd seen enough of fighting. Uh, so that, I mean, is completely unrelated to anything i said about what the maze might be you know uh it, like I, I can't even i can't even like map on what that was onto my description of the maze you know what i mean um maybe... yeah but then again that's that's ford's story that he had teddy tell the man in black right, right? right. we don't know what it means um i don't know what all those designs are everywhere you know what i mean like the man the man in black says that when he when he killed Maeve and then she got back up and like brought her daughter outside and slashed his throat uh, and then fell into sort of the impression in the ground, the dirt impression of the maze. He says, that's the first time I saw the maze. Isn't that what he says? That's the first time I saw the maze. Um, so I don't get it. Like I don't get what the symbol means. Uh, the symbols that are, that we that are all over the park. I don't. Like do you follow the symbols? Like that sounds stupid. I regret it. I take it back. I don't know. I don't know what the maze is. I don't. So uh, there's many. There's many different interpretations. Hopefully, we find out uh, next week, or it's going to be something that drags out five seasons. We'll see. Uh, but I think it's going to be fairly. Stra- my prediction is it'll be very fairly straightforward. That's my prediction. So. Uh, okay, so I think we've gotten through every storyline. Anything else you want to say about the Dolores wandering around downstairs storyline? 
before we get to Bernard? Um, I don't think so. Well, except, you know, like her, her thing ends. We already talked about this with a man in black walking up to the church and her going like William. I do want to say that I feel like I don't really understand what's going on with Teddy, why Teddy needed to be removed from the game at this point. Like Angela's explanation didn't make sense to me, but what does make sense is that they wanted it to be the man in black squaring off against Dolores alone. And they just wanted Teddy out of the picture. So they, so for that need, the show had to reset his loop. But like Angela's explanation of like, you're not, I, that doesn't quite wash for me. I think they just wanted James Marsden out of the way. So yeah, that's a, that feels right to me. Uh, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Uh, I feel like this whole season has severely underused James Marsden. <laughs> Agreed completely. <laughs> okay. So let's get to the dynamite plot point uh, or plot line in this episode, Bernard. After realizing that he's uh, a host, he breaks into Ford's office, lures Ford into cold storage for a meeting, uh, brings out Clementine with some hand-wavy explanation of how he programmed her to shoot Ford, and then says, hey, uh, you need to tell me what's going on with my past. And uh, I actually kind of thought the way they did it was pretty neat because I don't think in quote-unquote reality that they would do it that way. Like, he would just give Bernard the upload rather than doing it in like eight stages, you know? Um, but having Bernard kind of snap out of it allows you to connect with the current reality in a way that I think is kind of interesting. Um, so you then flashback with Bernard. You see scenes we've seen from previous episodes in a new light, mm-hmm. right? And uh, firstly, we see Bernard continuing to strangle Elsie. So I, I really think she's dead at this point. Uh, but you think still possible she's alive. We see this kind of effect where uh, people in his flashbacks are able to be frozen like hosts, which I thought was very disorienting. And kind of a cool effect, but never seen it that way before. Uh, I guess it's just to show kind of how artificial the memories are, right? That they're, they're implanted in there as... Uh, cornerstone memories right is the term that was used oh, right right is and for those who don't remember cornerstone memory is kind of the thing that the the host's entire identity hinges on like they give them this one memory in, in bernard's case it is his pain uh at losing his son and uh and so he you know he really lives a memory but then he like in a very cool editing moment his son tells him to open his eyes and he opens his eyes and and that's the first moment that Bernard, the robot, is alive, right? And uh, you see the photo later on, and Bernard didn't see himself in the photo that, you know, Bernard himself is actually Arnold. That was a fairly rough way of explaining it that I just went through. But, uh, you know, I think people who saw the episode are mostly clear on those details. But what are your thoughts on how this is all revealed? The first was I can't like I can't watch someone in like a dreamlike state whisper open your eyes without thinking of the movie Open Your Eyes where Penelope Cruz goes Abre los ojos yeah. like uh, Vanilla Sky I think Vanilla, right. well yeah. well no the original uh, Abre los ojos in the original version right yeah right and then yeah Vanilla Sky is the is the Cameron Crowe remake but like um, the uh, well, yeah, I thought one of the more interesting glitches that we see, like the photo thing, of course, was was cool and interesting. But like the the conversation he has with his wife slash ex-wife and you have like 
Ford's voice. Yeah. Overlaid so, with it. That so we had asked the question of who is he talking to. Right. And it's either a recording of Ford or Ford actually himself, right, interacting with Bernard. Right. Uh, and I – for what reason, Who like, who knows? You know, we know Ford likes revisiting the past, right? Like he has the young version of himself and he has that whole family out in the middle of nowhere. So maybe – Ford likes having therapy sessions with Bernard, a.k.a. Right. his old friend Arnold, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Well, like, to to sort of explore, like, because he was like, are you sure you never want to feel? There's this whole thing about, like, pain and sadness that, like, you know, Arnold is very uh, – Ford is very clearly of the camp, like, let that go. Why deal with it? And Arnold is like, no, pain is what makes us human. Like, that's the thing that awake like – that's the cornerstone anchor memory for the hosts. Uh, that phrase that we talked about last week, the repeated phrase of like, the pain is the only thing I have left of this person. Like that pain is important to him. And I feel like this is a fundamental difference in the two philosophies is like Ford is like, wouldn't it be great if we could shut off emotions? And Arnold's like, uh, that depth of emotion is what makes us who we are. Anyway, uh, I, I'm digressing. Um, Do you have an opinion on that, by the way? Like personally? Uh, I am in. I'm Team Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you need. You know the. You need the pain. You need the. The death is what makes life worth living. Sort of thing. Um, and we should say Jeffrey Wright puts on a dynamite performance this episode. You know when he's letting go of the memory of his fictional dead son. You know yeah, it's incredibly I, powerful. I have to say I I. You know, and, and we're going to get into this whole idea of theorizing, not theorizing. But since I, I almost from the start didn't believe that that was true, that that memory was true, um, it didn't hit me the way that I think they wanted it to hit me. I was try. I think I've seen comparable stories like that before, where you're watching like either sci-fi fantasy where someone believes something to be true and they have to admit it's not before they move on with their quest and it's very hard for them. And if you've bought into the relationship in the first place, it's hard for you, the viewer too. But since I never really bought into those Charlie scenes and really we only had like very, very handful, like few of them, you know, like if it had been, if it had been a couple seasons of us watching Bernard remember his son Charlie, and Charlie was like this whole like fully formed character for us, and then he had to let him go. Uh, I, I, does that make any sense? Or yeah, it totally does make sense. You're you're the f- you know I read two reviews of this episode today that both said that that scene did nothing for them. You know, yeah. uh, on the one hand, I can relate with that because. I understand what you're saying, that they didn't do anything to build it up, and maybe you never believed it was a real thing in the first place. Uh, and so so I understand why that's the case. But I would say two factors differentiate that scene for me uh, from like how it impacted you and, and several other people I respect a lot. Um, one is Jeffrey Wright's performance is just so good. It's like he's willing these emotions into existence from nothing, and he's willing you to have them. And I just admire the sheer force of acting on display. Um, and so, like, that's one piece. But I guess the, the other piece is it's it's less about – for me, it's less about the reveal of, hey, this is a fake memory. It's about a machine realizing that he needs to let go of – you know this this thing that has informed his entire life and has has 
formed the armature of his entire being and character. Um, and that is a very profound thought to me. And, uh, and so the fact that he was like letting go, not just of his son and the pain, but just the idea that his son would form who he is. Um, I thought was very powerful. So I, you know, I mean, I agree with you that the concept is really strong. Mm-hmm. And I also agree that Jeffrey Wright is fantastic. And so I don't know what it is about it that didn't work for me. Um, Ellen in the chat room brought up uh, Leonardo DiCaprio need to let go of Marion Cotillard in Inception. And that, yeah, yeah, very similar to that. That does work for me, even though I have my issues with Inception. That did work for me. That relationship meant more to me than this one does um, with. You know, less less running time to get there, and um, you know whether to chalk that up to performance or the fact that you know the whole film is about that versus this, which you know the Charlie Bernard stuff uh, is one you know thirtieth of this entire story we're watching. Um, but I, I wish I, I wanted it to be like you know one of those like lost classic lost moments with like Desmond and Penny or something like that where i'm just like losing it over this like um love meets sci-fi uh, meets despair and loss moment um and i didn't get there maybe i'm just dead inside and maybe no, I, I if, <laughs> maybe if you open me up it's just like gears and pistons and that sort of stuff so. i don't think that's the case i think there's a lot of people who were uh who felt the same way as you yeah. uh and uh, but I think that has less to do with this specific storyline and more about how the show is structured in general. We've had a major twist last week and then another major twist this week. And I- I'm going to guess there's at least one major twist next week, right? right. Um, right. Possibly two, maybe even three. So I think <laughs> I think people are starting to think that the twists are becoming the show versus like the potentially very good character work that you could have. I disagree. Let's get into that in a little bit later. There's only a couple other things I want to bring up about this Bernard storyline. Number one is Bernard basically calls for the execution of Ford. And then we realize Ford was in control the entire time. Uh, and he says, the piano does not kill the player because it does not like the music. <laughs> yeah. Which is a reference to the title of the episode, The Well-Tempered Clavier, which is itself a reference to a very famous composition by Bach, uh, which refers to a specific way of tuning a piano. The idea, I think, is that Ford has specifically tuned his creations so that they cannot um, defeat him. And, uh, for, you know, Bernard is realizing this in real time. And then Bernard has the exact same reaction I had watching this scene, which is, well, if you could control him the whole time, why did you make him go through that whole thing, <laughs> right? And then Ford says, well, I was optimistic that maybe you, you know... If you had free will, that you'd recognize that you should join me, which I thought was just an absolutely preposterous explanation. <laughs> you know, Be- because the story needed me to, bro. Right, that's I, why. I, I mean, yeah. it just it, it, it's. It, I'm I'm glad they called attention to that glaring plot inconsistency, um, and I, that's better than not calling attention to it at all. But it felt like it felt like a very big plot contrivance. What did you think, though? Did you agree, or did it feel fine to you? Um, I think what, what, what struck me there was Ford, you know, Bernard saying, we've had this conversation before and Ford being like, yep. And that just made me so sad because like, it makes me sad every time I think about Dolores, like waking up multiple times, Maeve waking up multiple times. And then Bernard, like that, this is Bernard's loop, right? 
is like getting close to consciousness rebellion or whatever and then Ford erasing him or, you know, rebuilding him or whatever he needs to do. Um, that was devastating to me. How many times has Bernard realized he's Arnold? We don't know, you know. Um, but in terms of like the whole monologue, your, your, to your actual question, in terms of the whole monologuing thing, um, yeah, you know, I think we've seen this a couple times in this show where exposition via monologue uh, is something the show leans a little heavily on. Usually, usually we don't mind it when it's, when it's Anthony Hopkins because he's, he's so good. We do when it's Logan because he's not as good, uh, but a, a little fishy. I agree. I agree. Well, we have, we have people in the chat room violently reacting to what I said. Uh, <laughs> completely disagree. Uh, B. Chris in the chat room says Ford wanted Bernard to make the choice that Arnold didn't to agree with him. No, I, I understand what Ford said. I think it's just – I just don't feel like it's plausible. Like, like, is the idea that they've had this conversation and that in the past Bernard has agreed to go along with it, right, or has agreed to be wiped? I, I, I guess I don't understand the idea of like we've had this conversation before. Uh, Peter Serretta from SlashFilm.com actually put forward this theory to me that that scene where we see Bernard interact with uh, F- Ford, that there are actually continuity glitches in that scene that might indicate that we are actually, in fact, witnessing multiple versions of that conversation. Oh, Jesus. Um, like intercutting within themselves. Yeah. Uh, which is very plausible, basically. <laughs> I love your reaction to that, that theory, Joanna. You're like... No, I mean, it's totally plausible, yeah. but it's just sort of like, why? Especially <laughs> like if they never tell us that. Right. So right. I guess it's just like an Easter egg for people. Well, there is, um, there is some very creative cutting between the Fords, right? We see Ford... It, cut, it cuts between Ford speaking, and it, it almost makes it seem like it's one scene, but it's actually two different time periods. Um, but, yeah, I, I think – yeah, what does that mean? Like in past iterations where they had the conversation, what does that mean then? Does that mean at the end of those conversations Bernard said, okay, like you can wipe me or – you know, like what does that mean? Um, or or he's been wiped unwillingly. I don't know that it always ends with him shooting his brains out, but it might be that the stakes are higher right now because Ford has this other shit going on. Yeah. And he can't just focus on his Bernard issues when he's like trying to pull these other strings. Right. That's what he says. He's like, I've got a, pl- a party to plan and like a narrative to like, you know, he's busy. Yeah, it does, so, it like, does seem like he's saying goodbye to Bernard in a way he hasn't before. Right. So right. his usual execution of this kind of thing, like I don't believe Jeffrey Wright is gone from the show. Like that's that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but I agree with you that even if they've had this conversation multiple times before and um, every other time it's ended with uh, Arnold just uh, – Ford, sorry. Ford just giving like a verbal command to wipe Bernard. Um, this time it's more drastic and permanent seeming. You know, the whole Clementine stuff, like all this trouble behind the scenes, this is unusual for the park. Like it's not unprecedented but it's not usual in the last – 30 years there haven't been all these crazy incidences i mean i guess people are in cold storage but you don't need to have someone like clementine so like uh or clementine i forget what's right don't yell at me guys um but yeah uh i bottom line is i agree with you this feels more final than usual and and someone pointed out someone emailed us and pointed out that that scene was actually in the original trailer for the show and i actually did see it you you see ford walking out of cold storage and you see someone blow their brains out in the background and I thought it must be Bernard because I didn't know who else Ford would actually care 
like that they killed themselves. Like this seems like the only person he would actually look like ha- look like he has a twinge of remorse about. Um, but I couldn't really figure out why it would happen. Um, this is why, I guess. Ryan in the chat room brings up a really good point. He said Ford is playing God. He wants his creation to worship him willingly. And uh, in, in Christian theology, basically, uh, there's this question that lingers over everything of why did God give humans free will? It, it, you know, if God is all powerful and all good, why did he give humans free will to mess that up? Um, why didn't he just make his creation worship him? And the idea is that he gave them free will because he wants people to worship him of their own volition right. rather than being forced to. So yeah. that is a good point, you know, that, that Ford is that deluded and that megalomaniacal that he thinks he, he wants to be God and that he wants Bernard to be willing to work with him, you know, without being forced to. He wants Bernard to have full information, to have, uh, have been downloaded <laughs> from the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, <laughs> and, and still want to work with him. Well, and isn't this the whole thing about why build a Bernard? The reason build a Bernard is because you want an Arnold who won't argue with you, who agrees with you, right. who has all the, all the genius of an Arnold but sees things from your point of view. And right. that's maybe what he keeps trying for. And Bernard keeps going, oh, but actually you're a monster and you should be stopped. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, then I take back my critique of <laughs> that. Uh, that is a good point. And I, I guess it just struck me as implausible, you know, that Ford would think that Bernard would learn all that stuff and then just be like, oh, yeah, you made me kill all these people. Yeah, sure. I'll still let's still write these narratives. That's what the most important thing is right now. We should also point out, by the way, that Bernard says that, hey, if um, – I'm sorry, Ford says that if Bernard tries to raise a rebellion, that uh, he might fail because everyone – all the hosts hate Bernard, right? Because Bernard has done horrible things to them theoretically. Do, do they hate Bernard or do they hate Arnold? Yeah, sure. I'm one, not, you one, know? one of them, right? Like, um, but, yeah, yeah it, this goes back to the first episode in a scene that we've talked about where Abernathy – is quoting Shakespeare. Um, and then he says, you know, by my most whatever mechanical hand, uh, I shall by, have my most mechanical and dirty hand. I shall, I have, shall such have such revenges on, on you, you both. both. And he looks from uh, Ford to Bernard. And so it seems like in that moment, he's recognizing Bernard as Arnold as the other creator. Uh, and so, yeah, so Arnold, Bernard, who looks like Arnold, will be a crap leader for these robots if they recognize him as one of the pe- one, of one of their, their oppressors. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think that that wraps up the plot of this episode. Uh, we are we are really running long here. Um, yeah. So uh, we we can't go on too long. We'll have more discussion next week. But but before we end, though, Joanna, I do want to talk with you about theorizing because. Uh, uh, you, you, I'm sure, got inundated with a ton of tweets and emails basically saying <laughs> – some people saying, wow, it was better because I knew it was coming because you told me, Joanna. And other people saying, you ruined this episode for me because I already knew what was going to happen. Yeah, I got a lot of people really mad at me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like a lot of people accusing me of spo- – like the word spoiler kept getting – 
tossed around and I just like I can't with that guy. Which is just like let's let's just put I this out there. That, that is ludicrous. I can't that is a spoiler. Yeah. this as a definition of a spoiler. Yeah. If you don't want to listen to this podcast because we theorize, that's fine. That's like totally up to you. But uh we got like a couple angry emails of people really mad at us for spoiling Westworld for them and I just about the- theorizing is not spoiling. Like spoiling is if you know what's going to happen and you right. tell people. Theorizing right. is if you uh, put together evidence and make an argument about what might happen, which is what uh, we do mostly, Joanna, on this podcast. And uh, and there's uh, that is a part of the point of listening to the podcast, you know, is uh, is to think about what has happened and think about where it might lead. So uh, there is no world where this podcast will not have speculation on the future. Uh, and that being said, you know, I am curious. Uh, now that it is all played out as as you have foreseen, Joanna, <laughs> um, what was your enjoyment of the episode? You know, did, did you think – did you take satisfaction in seeing your predictions come true? Um, did you uh, – were you disappointed because you knew it would all happen this way? Like what was your perception and do you feel like the theorizing in general is hurting the, the denouement of this season? I think it's hard. I think this show is definitely did definitely go about courting um, this kind of theorizing from its fandom. I think that's un like with without a doubt. Um, whether or not they uh, and he, here's where I'm going to say something not to bring politics into it, but it's the it's the it's the easiest comparison I can make, and it doesn't reflect well on me so that's why i'm gonna make it which is that uh, i feel like i'm like donald trump calling the election rigged after i already won it or whatever but there's a part of me that from time to time wonders if some of the people on reddit might actually be people who do know um like if the person who by episode two had already figured out that logan was the man in black 30 years ago or if the people who think that um, who knew that that photo was of Juliet? Like you know, there it's possible that happens. That definitely happens. That people who have insider production knowledge, you know, pose as as just a random redditor to get the information out there. Well, we encountered and, this in our other podcast, A Cast of Kings. Yeah, there'd be people who read the book, like clearly read the books, and then just like we're throwing in, "Hey guys, maybe this happens," and it's exactly. With a hundred percent accuracy, what has happened? Well, like what ends up happening? Right. Um, we got those emails all the time, uh, and it was a different character than the emails that we we're getting for Westworld because the emails we're getting for Westworld feel like actual genuine guesses. They're all over the place, right? But some of those were really right on in a way that was very suspicious. So, there, so there are people who do this for sure, right? Yes, and and like I, <laughs> just like Trump, I don't have any facts at all. I have no I have nothing to base this on. I'm just saying like if that is the case, I would feel guilty about my role in sp- <laughs> spreading that wide cuz like if someone is using unfair advantage to crack the mystery and then I like latch onto it and I'm like, yeah, let's talk about this more and more and more, then I'm complicit in something that isn't a clean theory, right? It's theory with knowledge. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's okay. But that's just something that like plagues me. I'm like, what if I am complicit in that? Um, all that being said, well, I didn't even, th- I didn't even think about that as a possibility, but yeah. <laughs> um, and my guilt, like when someone accuses me of spoiling, I take it really seriously. Um, sometimes uh, the, 
Yeah, so I I can understand why people would be like, we talked about this early on in the season, like, I do think Westworld might have been like a more mind blowing experience for a lot of people if they binged it, like with Stranger Things, like we talked about and just like didn't have the echo chamber. I love the echo chamber. I love doing this podcast. I love reading the emails. I love reading the tweets. I think it's really fun. Um but, you know, having watched The Prestige as research for this podcast and remembering the way my mind was actually blown by the ending of The Prestige, um, you know, yeah, who is to say that I wouldn't have loved Westworld more if I had had that experience watching the show? I don't know. I, I don't regret anything, but I don't know for certain that it wouldn't have been better the other way. <laughs> I like Jeremy Fitch. Jeremy Fitch's quote in, in the chat room, I am become spoiler. <laughs> destroyer of world. I, I am become spoiler, <laughs> destroyer of suspense. Um. <laughs> well, that's a, that's, a, that's a positive thing that someone tweeted to me today. They said, because of all your theorizing, this episode was pure suspense, not surprise for me. And you and I have talked about suspense versus surprise. And I do think that suspense is a more interesting kind of storytelling. So, that, you know, that was a comfort to me as I was feeling guilty about the other people yelling at me. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am, yeah, I, I'm so curious about what people's experiences watching the show without any understanding of the two time period theory, without any understanding of the Bernard and old theory or that Bernard is a robot. Like, uh, those are just experiences we will never have, Joanna. We'll never have that experience of being completely shocked. But, um, <laughs> You know, like we in the alternate universe, we never created this podcast, and we just watched the show on our own, and then we're completely shocked by those developments. Um, but here's what I will say about the theorizing. Um, firstly, I, I think the theorizing. I, I think there's a significant possibility if it wasn't for this podcast and all the theorizing, I would have stopped watching this show because the Dolores stuff would have been incredibly frustrating to me. You know, like not knowing anything that's going on with that. I, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on it. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, talking with you and, and like Dolores is Wyatt and we're seeing Dolores in three, kind, maybe four different time periods. And so I, for me, I'm a very literal person. You know, I, I, I like taking things at face value that what I see. And, um, and I think I would have gotten pretty frustrated at, all the, hey, um, what you're seeing is not actually real. You know, Bernard's actually a robot. Anyone could be a robot. Bernard's actually Arnold. Dolores is actually Dolores in three time periods. William is actually the man in black. Like, all, all these things. Um, one of the things that I, I've seen written about this episode and the show in general is that it removes the, the emotional stakes because you don't know what you're watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I think a lot of people are experiencing this frustration that they cannot trust what they are seeing on screen is actually happening. And that even if you see someone die, that person could come back as a host or maybe they were a host all along, you know, and and if that's the case, then how can you experience any emotional stakes or shock at that? And so I, I think for me, having this show, this podcast and talking with you about it and understanding the theories helps me to keep make sense of the world in my head and so on that one level it's a benefit to me and on a second level what i think is great about the show is the reveals happen the, the reveals are artfully done 
and they move along the story and sometimes character, right? So last week, we found out Bernard was a robot, but also that Ford is a psychopath. And, and he, they use that reveal to murder Teresa. And this week, we find out that Bernard is Arnold and also that Ford is a psychopath. <laughs> and they use that development to murder Bernard. <laughs> and hopefully next week... There is a reveal that happens that isn't hinging upon Ford doing something crazy. Um, but I do like that they, they move the plot along and they move character along with the reveals. And that's what makes the show worth coming back to for me. Yeah. What do you, what do you think of that? Um, I guess um, I agree with you. I think that there's enough character and performance in this show you know, my counter example that I use that's unpopular because people like this show is Mr. Robot, which was never able to hook me in beyond its gimmick. Um, other people do have an emotional connection and reaction to that show. I do not. So I can't stand it. And if Westworld is that show for other people, then I get it. If they watch it and all they're seeing is Mr. Robot, then I get that. Um, that's not how I feel about this show. Uh, but yeah, the, the good parts are enough to keep you engaged. We actually had people accuse us, Joanna, uh, like via email and Twitter. People accuse us of actually hate, like not liking this show. Like th- these people think the show is bad, and they accuse us of not liking it and pretending to like it. Which I, I, I think these people don't understand. You and I are terrible at pretending to like things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, I mean, I, I, I. I think what the email that we got today, I think it was today, where someone was like, where's the old Dave and Joanna who are usually more critical? Yeah. And I think I think that can be tied into um, how much of each episode we have to devote to explaining what we think is going on. Yeah. And people have accused us of, uh, of theorizing too much. But it's not even just theorizing. It's like, I would like to tell you what I think is happening. And that's <laughs> going to take a good chunk of this podcast episode where we would usually just be talking about these other issues. Right. And there are people who would rather we just talk about these other issues. But from my point of view, we can't talk about those other issues until I think we're all on the same page or at least near the same chapter about <laughs> what the hell is going on on the screen. And that's the complaint, right? If you're like, I don't understand what Dolores is doing and I have to explain to you that she's glitching through time and she she doesn't – memory is time travel to her and all this sort of stuff. You know, and then you're like, well, what the fuck? And I'm like, yeah, but now let's talk about Evan Rachel Wood and how freaking great she is, right? You know, but it takes a while to get there. So yeah, yeah. I don't All right. Well, keep those emails coming in to decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. And we'll be back next week with uh, probably a special announcement and also – uh, an episode, maybe two episodes, breaking down the season finale. Uh, the season finale is going to be uh, supersized, I believe, right? 90 minutes is what I heard. Is that right, Jonna? Yep. Yeah, so it's going to be a massive, massive episode. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, Joanna, where can people find more of your work? Uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And you can hear me talk about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them on Starma Spoilers this week. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.me. And uh, find my film, The Primary Instinct, at theprimaryinstinct.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 